Week Live, brought to you exclusively by Abu Garcia. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I hope you're having a wonderful day, evening, afternoon, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching or listening. I hope, hope you're doing good. Uh, we've got a great brand new show for you today. Scott Martin joining us in just a second here. And uh, man, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff, but obviously big win to start the year off uh, winning at home. Big news. Can't wait to have Scott on. Uh, Want to remind you, please keep the comments uh, coming. Uh, questions, guest ideas. Uh, it's been awesome to see uh, everybody's um, people love or really miss the other Ike Live. And let me remind you, we're going to have the old Ike Live shows about once a month, but these Ike Live 2.0s have been great. And for everybody that likes them, I appreciate all the support. Please keep sending your comments and questions in. They're really, really good. Also, real quick, uh, a brand new sponsor just came on this year, Abu Garcia. Uh, man, it's been awesome. It's always like the ultimate uh, perfect world when you have a company that's been supporting your professional uh, fishing career jump over and support some of your other projects. So shout out to Abu Garcia. And I have a note here, the brand new uh, Ike Series 3.0 rods and reels launching this year at iCast. That's July. So a lot of questions about that. So keep your eye out. We've got some brand new rods and reels launching in July. Also, the Ike Foundation. Uh, Want to send a shout out to everyone that came to the scholarship banquet. Always an amazing night. Uh, friends and, and sponsors and supporters and colleagues all coming out to support kids fishing. We raised a lot of money for the scholarship. So thank you guys that supported that. Also head on over to the ikefoundation.org if you want to find out how to support it. Or if you're looking to get a kid involved in fishing, whether it's casting, basic fishing, or even bass tournaments, Head over to likefoundation.org. we got a bunch of dates listed over there to get your kids fishing. All right, let's get him on. Very, very excited to have uh, Scott on. He's been on the show a million times, but it's his first time on Ike Live 2.0. What a great time to have him on uh, fresh, fresh off of his win here. So uh, joining us now, Scott Martin. Scott, what's up? What's up, buddy? Dude, what's I, going on, man? It's great to have you back on the show. First thing, before I, I've got, like, I do all these notes for every show, but everything always changes on the fly. And before we came on, I just want to bring this back up because it's super funny. Before we came back on, you were trying to fix something on your phone, turn the notifications off or whatever. And we started joking about flip phones. Then we talked about the sky pager. Then you were mentioned your camera guy saw a cassette in your office and was like, what's that? Dude, is that not funny? Like how things come full circle. Like, you know, now we're we're both about the same age. I think I'm a few years older than you, but dude, is it mind-blowing to be like a dad and a father and to be around these young kids and they see this stuff and they have no idea what it is? No well, idea. It it really is. And but you know, the flip phone's coming back. That's like a thing now. It's like trending. Like you there's people that are doing the whole flip thing, like the old school flip phones and and yeah. uh, so actually, it'd be kind of fun to have that, man. And, you know, yeah, these kids these days, I mean, the, the technology, everything that they're used to doing, and they look at this old stuff. I saw a video of a kid, you should pull it up when we're off, and they had a, uh, one of those dial phones. Yeah. Guy set the dial phone down in front of the two teenagers, and he just stepped away, and he said, dial, dial this number. And the, and the kids were like, and they were like touching it. They were like, 
doing it weird. They didn't know to go all the way around. Like you have no idea. They spent like five minutes trying to figure it out. They're like, it was the funniest thing ever. I was like, oh my gosh, dude, it's amazing. And it's not just in like real world stuff. It's also in the fishing world. And I'll tell you this quick story. So I like you, I get the captain, uh, my son, and a lot of people in the youth league here in New Jersey. And I can't tell you, Scott, how many kids come on my boat. And I keep in my basket, I keep two marker buoys between the seats yeah. and they come in and they're looking at them, dude, they have no idea. They ask, what's that? that that's so funny. That is exactly true. That is I so- mean, like it's a fossil, like it's a dinosaur, you know, like what's that? You know, like it's an archaeological find in my boat, you know? What you need to do next time is put, uh, go get some Uncle Josh pork chunk, the old, the old <laughs> ones. And, and, and put that on your trailer of a jig, dude, and let it be sitting there. And they're going to be, what in the world? <laughs> what is that? My dad did that. And, and and he called me in a tournament one time. One of the last little things that we fished, it was one of those uh, ultimate match fishing things. And he yeah. was practicing at Lanier. And, you know, I've got my jig all rigged up. I'm skipping docks and stuff. And I've got this really nice, beautiful finesse jig with 37 strands of, you know, <laughs> My dipped, my dipped little chunk, you know, everything's great. 12 pound fluorocarbon, my ultralight rod. And, yep. and my dad up after about two hours of fishing, we're down on the clear end. And I said, you catching them? He said, yeah, yeah. I've caught them. I, I caught a five and a six and I had a three pounder and I, boy, I caught all these big fish. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. Where are you at? He goes, I'm just in the next Creek over. I said, what are you catching on? He goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting them on a jig, but Hey, do you got any uncle Josh pork chunks? I go, what's he goes, yeah, you got. I, I don't have any more. The, the, the lids rusted on the other ones, and and uh, and I said, you're catching them on a pork chunk. He goes, yeah. I said, what size line? He says, twenty five pound. It's that <laughs> chalky, the chalky strand, you know, like leftover. Yeah, and it's fluorescent yeah. blue. It has that fluorescent, fluorescent blue tint to it. Yeah. So I go around the corner. I go, hang on, I'm coming to you. So I go around the corner. I said, show me your jig. He shows me this jig, and it looked like. It looked like a baby squirrel, dude. I'm like, <laughs> it was this giant gaudy jig. He's got this flipping stick. It's a musky rod with a foam thing on the bottom of it with goat rope. And and he's wrecking them. And I'm like, you know what? Old school stuff is the PA. I mean, like, they're, it's still working. And I'm out there with my little finesse jig. And, and he's just out there just whack. It was so funny. That's amazing. There's definitely a time and a place for old school stuff. And it's funny you brought up Uncle Josh because I had, you know how like uh, every, I, at least for me, about every, I, I call it like eight or 10 years, I go through a shop clean out. And, yeah. you know, I'm like a hoarder. I'm sure you are. Like if you're a fisherman, you're a hoarder. And the guy, the guy came with a trailer. I'm not kidding. The guy came with a trailer. I had so much stuff compiled and loading the trailer and, and I had a box of Uncle Josh pork and I was handing it to him. And then like he went, he grabbed it and I took it back. <laughs> it was like one of those things where like the movers trying yeah. to grab a box. Yeah. And like, at the, yeah. At the last minute, I declined giving that box. And uh, so I do have some Uncle Josh pork. So if your dad needs some, have him hit me up. That, that is, that's <laughs> funny. That's so funny. I've got some. Uh, I, I want to get into this, uh, dude, this is uh, exciting because a lot of times I'll have a guest on like, you know, two, three weeks, a month or whatever after, but dude, this is fresh. Congrats on the win. It was so awesome for me. I got to watch it. Like I, I'm a fan of the sport big time. 
So when I'm not competing, dude, I'm like, ask Becky, like I'm like on my phone, like a geeky kid watching and all that stuff. And uh, congrats on that win. It's so, so awesome to see it. I'm so, so proud of that win for you. It, 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 you know, it's, it's truly a blessing, Mike. Yeah. You know, it's God's timing was perfect on this thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll tell you, it, it all came full circle, uh, yesterday in the gym, I was working out and had my music playing and I actually listen to praise and worship when I'm working out. It just kind of gives me a lot of energy, but I'm sitting there working out and it just kind of hit me and all made sense, but it's like God's timing's perfect on this thing. And here's why. And you'll appreciate this story. In 1991, I stood in that same parking lot there at our marina, and I watched my dad hold a trophy up over his head, a Bassmaster Invitational, and he won the tournament. I was 15 years old, roughly, and that's when, I, in my mind, I kind of thought, I really do want to do this. At 15, I wasn't sure. You know, like I yeah. thought, maybe I'll be a fishing guy. Maybe I'll run the marina. Maybe I'll just go do whatever. Yeah. You don't know. And so at, at 15, that moment, my dad gave me some credit on stage because I helped practice with him and I helped get his boats ready. And I was getting, I was just kind of helping him. I was part of the process. And I felt really touched that tournament. I thought, man, I, I want to do that. I want to stand on that stage and, and, and hold that trophy over my head one day. Yeah. And so that was my, that's when the dream started, truly started. And, and you look at, and this is why God's timing is perfect. You look at, you know, I fished FLW for all those years and had great success over there. And, and I dabbled in some opens throughout the years, starting in 1998. I finished, uh, I think, fifth or sixth year, the first term I ever fished. But I've never won an open. I've never won a Bassmaster. You know, it just always eluded me. And, and um, so you go for 33 years. Wow. That's the next time Bass came to that parking lot. That's incredible. 33 years. We haven't been back to Clewiston where that dream started in 33 years. So when I took off on day one, I thought to myself, you know, I really wasn't thinking I was going to win the tournament, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah. I wasn't what was going to happen. But I'm running down the lake, and I'm, I'm, and I'm feeling the lake, and I'm feeling the memories. And I'm just – I think that's what gave me so much peace throughout the event. Yeah. And I'm, I'm running down the lake and I'm looking at all the places I used to fish as a kid. And it's just kind of brought me back to that dream that started that dream. And, and so what's so special is that I was able to hold that, hold that trophy up in that same exact parking lot in front of my mom and my dad 33 years later where that dream started for me. And it was just magical, man. It was like I said, God's timing is perfect. If I could have won a tournament in Alabama, I could have won a tournament at Lake Hartwell. Yeah. Thing. I don't know what it would have meant. It would have been great. Yeah. But, you know, I'm so grateful that I that my first Bassmaster win was where the dream started. To me, that's so – it represents so much. That it, it, It's so amazing because as you were talking, I was getting chills. <laughs> and I wasn't even participating. And I'm getting chills listening to the story. Uh, gosh, that's, that's unbelievable that you complete it that circle like that, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it's funny because as you were talking, I was having memories of when I won here in Philadelphia, yes. which was a long time ago. It was back in 2014, but the same, yeah. the same stuff you were talking about was happening to me. Like the last day I was fishing areas up the Schuylkill river where my uncle and my grandfather started taking me fishing as a kid. Yeah. And just the, the whole circle completion I felt like happened to me there. So that that's unbelievable. I, I, 
Here's something I got to ask because it, it, it was asked to me and I, my answer was obvious, but you've won it all, especially on the FLW side. You've won it all. You've done it all. Is this the biggest win of your career? Even though it isn't, is it the biggest win of your career? Or maybe I should ask, is it the biggest competitive win of your life getting, getting to do this? You know, somebody asked me that earlier too, a couple of times actually. And, and I do have to say, that that it's 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 right there tied. I have to give it a tie, a legitimate tie with the Forest Wood Cup. Yeah, because that also meant so much to me. That's where my grandmother was born on the shores of that lake. Mm. I was a fishing guide on Lake Washita back in the '60s. Um, my 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 father-in-law had passed away shortly before that, and I kind of dedicated that tournament to him. There was a lot of motivation behind that. And then to win it, you know, to win it at Lake Washington, in a way, I, I stayed in my 150-year-old grandmother's house that week. Whoa! Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know this story. This is the first time yeah. I'm hearing this story. There's there, like the little town of Mount Ida where Mark Davis lives. Yeah, that's where that's where my mom's side of the family started, and wow. we still own the house, and it's 150 years old, and it's this old little house there, and and. You know, we used to go up there in the summertime and, and like water ski and mess around. But yeah, I stayed in that house. I slept in my grandmother's bed, you know, wow. still furniture. So it had a lot of similar things to what just happened here. Yeah. So can't take that away. But and and that's such a and, and watching my dad, you know, that was a my dad never won the Bassmasters Classic. And to me, that kind of represents at this point represents that. Yeah. And and I remember him. I remember Johnny. Um, dad was at a promotion that week and a big store opening and Johnny threw him on the jet dad on the jet. I didn't know this until I didn't think dad was going to make it. And dad showed up because Johnny flew him down and dad was in the crowd. And, I, and the coolest thing when I was holding those fish up, I, <laughs> it, 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 my dad was standing there with his thumbs up in the crowd and I didn't know he was there and I, I'm holding my fish up and he's got his thumb up and he's got tears running down his face. Wow. Oh my God. And it was pretty, uh, pretty epic to be wow. honest. Wow. That's so, yeah. That's, so, um, that's unbelievable. So, uh, you know, there, there's just so many, yeah. So I can't take that away. So, yeah. but, but it's right there, man. It's right yeah. there. It's super special. Absolutely. Right there with it. But, um, yeah, I've been very blessed to have a couple really special moments, and I know you have too. I have story in, in Philadelphia. Is, I know exactly what you're feeling and felt, and the blessing with it all. It's awesome, and I know you've had some other moments like that. And that's, that's what makes it special, man. Like, you know, I, I don't remember the tournaments that didn't mean anything. You know, like I don't. Yeah. Remember. It's. I'm so glad that I have some memories of things that have happened over the years of these stories that are just kind of miraculous. Yeah, it, it makes the sport that much more special. And uh, I, I think there's similar stories in other sports, but in the fishing world, I don't I don't know. Like what you just the story that you just relayed, I don't know if it gets any better than that. Like like yeah. the trophies, the money, like yeah. all that stuff, the fame, none of that matters, but those moments are what matter. And and you're right, I've had them. I mean the classic for me and with my mom right there and, and, uh, Philadelphia w w for sure. And, uh, 
you know, winning at home is is special. And and I'd have to put the, the win in Philadelphia right up there with any of them. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to hit the competitive side of this too, this story, which is winning at home is hard. Like it's the one of the hardest things you could do. And like I I don't have the stats. I'm sure if I if I called uh Ken Duke right now, he'd know exactly. But um not many people can win at home. Like I'd say it's it's a it's a small percentage because of all the added stuff, the yeah. pressure, the stuff going on in your head, the fact that it it is your home lake, the you know, your family is there. There's all this noise going on. Talk about that a little bit because I, I think people sometimes are wrong in thinking that winning at home is easy. It's the hardest thing in the world to win at home. Well, it's like I, I read the comments. I, I try to respond to every one of my posts and other posts that people have made. I would say 99.9% of all the comments are wonderful. I love them. And then there's there's that 0.1%. They're just awful people. <laughs> they are. They're awful. awful. They're just oh, awful. Yeah. They're and, awful. They're awful. They are awful. And, 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 you know, and I, I, I remember reading a couple comments last couple of days. One guy said, um, yeah, you know, he's fishing his daddy. His daddy took him around the lake and showed him all these holes on the lake, you know, and just like he did last year when I was leading, you know, like it's all his daddy's daddy spots. And so, you know, it's so silly to me. It's like, so I responded back to him. I kind of roasted him pretty good. I was like, well, actually I said, these are all my mom's spots. They're my dad's spots because she is such a better fisherman than he is. Roasted him, but, but you know, it, it, it's, it, uh, it, knowing so much about the lake over the years and, and, and understanding how these fish react to weather and all that is a definite yeah. advantage for me, a huge advantage. Yeah. That advantage probably gets even more refined every year. Um, but it's a curse at the same time because you'll find yourself, you know, it just happens to everybody. It's happened to you. You run around too much and you're, 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 you start daydreaming or, or getting over. Yeah, your, your history is drawing you places. And killing yeah. you, you know? Yeah. It's an opposite deal for me because you, what I've learned, here's, here's the biggest tip I can give anybody that's ever going to fish like a Kachobe in a tournament. 100% this is facts. You're never, ever, ever, ever going to win this tournament running around. You you better just make a really good decision on where you're going to camp. Yep. The monkey box, whether it's the Harney Pond, whether it's some bay. You can look back in the history of time. And 90% of the time, the person that wins this tournament on, on, on pretty much any Florida Lake, but especially Okeechobee, they've stayed put in an area, not a spot, an area. Right. And you have to be smart. Now, if the wind changes and does some things, you might need a backup spot where you have to go make an adjustment. But but it's not a – this is not a – let's fish here for a few hours and get a limit. Let me run over here and catch one or two. And then after that, I'm going to run over here and catch another one. Right. You, it's over. You have to slow down and milk these areas. And, and that's, that's the mentality that I had this week is I, I picked an area that I thought I could had the biggest opportunity for fish. I knew it was gonna have a lot of pressure, but I knew if I slowed way down and I adjusted my fishing just a little bit, and we'll talk about that in a little bit with baits and whatnot, but you know, that I could, I could hopefully outfish most everybody in the area. Um, and, and it worked out, you know, I wasn't sure, you know, until you get there and it starts mm. happening, but, but yeah, you know, running around, running around and, 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 and thinking and daydreaming about all the history will get you in a lot of trouble for sure on any lake. 
Um, yeah. You know, yeah, and, I, and I think that's a great tip. Like I, 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 I put a little note down here for my editor to mark that because I think it's a great tip, not just for Okeechobee, but for Florida in general. Like as you were talking, like my history of bad tournaments in Florida were flashing in my mind because yeah. I, it's hard for me to yeah. do what you did for that win. It yeah. is like, I can feel myself wanting to go every 15 minutes and, and it's part of who I am. And it's part of, I think I have, I'm 50, 51. So they didn't coin it when I was young, but I think I have AD, ADD, you know, I'm like, I'm constantly like, you know, got nervous, you know, I'm nervous and uh, I, I can't slow down. I can't be thorough. It's hard for me to stay in one spot. And I think often in Florida, Lake Okeechobee, that's what you have to do. So I'm glad you said that because I've made that mistake so many times in, in that state over and over and over, you yeah. know, I've made that mistake. I've seen, I see it all the time. I remember, I remember a couple of years ago in the FLW tournament, I did real well. Tim Frederick ended up winning the tournament, but I finished third or fourth in the event and I was catching big bag and Matt Airy was traveling with me. And I told Matt, you know, to come in the area and fish around. There was plenty of fish in this area and just, you know, but he was fishing fast, man. He was on the trolling motor. He's flipping and pitching and throwing chatter baits and picking this rod up, picking that rod up and, he couldn't even get a bite. Like he's zero. He like didn't catch any in my best area. This whole area. And he didn't catch a single fish. And he had a terrible tournament. And you know, and I was trying to help him out with with getting him in the right zone. But he was just the whole key was it is he wouldn't slow down. He was on his right. You know, power poles were made in Florida. They were designed in Florida, and that and you need to use them in Florida. Yeah, yeah. That's that's crazy. What a great tip. I I did want to. I wanted to go back real quick, Scott. And you mentioned the term come in full circle. And I, I think that's a great term for something in your life that happens that, that brings it all together. Um, but, but I wanted to hit a different angle of that, especially cause we're kind of in the same exact boat. I'm probably a little behind you with my son, Vegas. He's uh, he's getting, he'll, he'll actually be shout out to Vegas. Happy birthday to Vegas. He'll be 13 Friday, which is this coming week. Uh, so shout out to Vegas. But uh Talk about the full circle thing, not necessarily between your dad and you, yeah. but between you and your kids, you and Hillary. Talk about that you, full circle thing happening right you know, now. You're you're going through it right now. You know what I would call it, Mike? I would I would call it I would call it a figure eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put two circles together. That makes yeah. sense. A figure eight we've got going on. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, Hillary obviously is is uh, is my daughter, and she's 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 just. All my kids love fishing, but she loves fishing like we love fishing in the competitive side of things. Yeah, yeah. Learn how to do things and be successful at catching a fish, figuring it out on her own, et cetera, et cetera. You know, she she's not there to watch the fish jump out of the water. She's not there to uh, see if she can catch 50. She's there to figure out how to catch a bass. Right. And just like Vegas, I've watched him fish. I've seen a lot of your videos with him, and, and it's special. But she is a... Uh, Right now, she's in the driver's seat to carry this name forward. I, you know, I'm not sure exactly where she's going to end up with this whole process, but she's fishing tournaments now at the University of Alabama. She just fished. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm so proud of her. She just fished a tournament at Gunnersville Saturday, same day I weighed in. Yeah. She got a sponsorship through Skeeter Boats on her own, and she's got her boat all done. It was all rigged, and she had her first tournament in this new boat. And she's never fished Gunnersville, and the boat didn't get done until 
uh, late at night. So she didn't Friday night. She picked it up late Friday night. Literally didn't even break it in. I said, well, don't go over 3,000 RPMs, 3,500 RPMs all day long. So she launched the boat the day of the tournament and went out completely green with a brand new boat, her and her partner. She's running the trolling motor, running the boat, making all the decisions. And they finished 10th, but she caught a seven-pounder. She caught Whoa. a seven-pounder. And they had, uh, they had a good bag of fish, and and they just had a great time. And and I was just so proud of her because, you know, I – I, I would be the opposite. I would have been freaking out. Like, I need three days of practice. I don't know how to I can't go up and fish a tournament tomorrow morning. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But she's like, no, I'm good, you know. And, and 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 she likes to prepare, obviously. But, you know, it's her mentality of she just loves it. She loved the challenge. And that's my point. She loved the yeah. challenge of showing up, not really even knowing what to do or even which way to go when she blasted off that morning. And, uh, and she caught some fish. And so I, I was really proud of her. But, you know, she's – She's uh she's doing all of her YouTube stuff, and she does a lot of social media, um and and she really just wants to stay in the sport. So I you know I don't know where it's gonna go. I don't know if she'll yeah. ever try to get on the elites. I, I think she'll, you know, she's got a, such an opportunity in media and doing maybe some shows and uh, staying in that world that 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 you know and working in the industry. Yeah, it, it, it's so awesome. I mean, I you know I I'm, I'm listening to you talk and I know the feeling of having, you know, uh, one of your kids really gravitate toward what you love. And I'm in the same boat. I've got four of them. They all love the outdoors. They all love fishing, but Vegas has that thing. And it's such a, uh, it's such, it feels so good to see that in, in your children, you know, to see them have that deep passion for something that you love. And the other thing that you mentioned, which I think is, uh, is, is something that is great for your offspring is they're different than you. So, you know, like for, for me, I, I I'm like, my highs are high and my lows are low. When I lose a fish, it's devastating. Even, even doing it this long, I'm like crushed, you know, and Vegas is like this easy going, like just dude, he, he'll lose a four pounder right in front of him. And just, he just fixes his bait and just keeps fishing. Oh, he, and I, uh, he's going to, yeah, he's going to be killer then. He's gonna, oh yeah. I, I'm like, gosh, I'm like, it's great because you're, they're they're a better version of you. <laughs> Vegas is a better version of me. You know, I'm like, thank God he doesn't have the bipolar swings that I, <laughs> that it, I it have. Well, I, I tell you, I'm so excited about the future of the sport because, you know, we, you've got Vegas coming up. We've got Hillary coming up. We've got Laker Howell that's on tour. Oh. I saw Laker Howell the other day. I haven't seen him since he was like a little kid. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And the tournament. And he came up. We're at the Tiki Bar having dinner one night. And he's standing there, and I'm sitting at the table, and I'm like this. He's like 6'4". He's a <laughs> linebacker. I'm like, you're Randy Howell's son? Like, how oh, is yeah. that? Like, he, get, he definitely got all of his build from, from Robin. Now, she's beautiful, but she's a, you know, she's tall. Robin's, and, and Randy's a little skinny thing. Randy, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but, but, uh, but he is, like, you know, massive. And then you, you've, got, uh, you've got McClellan's son on tour now. Um, yes. And there's several more. So there, you know, there's so many. There's so yeah. many. Yeah, and it, it's great because a lot of them, a lot of them are children uh, from our, you know, our come up generation. You right. know, right. and it's it's so cool to see it. Uh, you know, of course, you look at uh, the icons of the past. You've got the the Hibdens and uh, the Browers, and and there was some iconic children that came up. But I think right now, you're right. There's more than ever, uh, and, and and they're so good. Um, 
it brings up another comment. You talk, you talked about the, the trolls that are out there. And unfortunately there are a few, but I get it every once in a while, you know, with Vegas, with those same comments, you know, Oh, it must be nice. You know, you know, Vegas is getting this and Vegas is getting spoon fed this and he's getting, you know, this handed to him. Oh, it must be, must be nice. And, and I don't comment back. I take the other approach. I just kind of ignore them. You know? But, um, but my mind's thinking, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, there, there's some truth to that. But also, like, what are the negatives of Vegas being my son, right? Like, what were the negatives of you being, your, you know, your dad's son, Roland's son? Dude, right. the amount of pressure and baggage and, you know, all that, like, it balances out. So I don't – would you agree with that? Because I think there's a certain level of, like, it's harder if I to be a pro angler's child. It, no, it took me, it took me the, you know, I've been doing this 25 years basically now. It took me the first 12 years to get out of that shadow. Right. Where, where, where you know, the fans and, and even the other anglers really even try to even give me respect on what I was doing because, right. you know, back then there wasn't a big presence on social media. So you didn't get to see me every day. You know, they just assumed certain things and whatever. And so, it, it you know, if my last name would have been, smith and my first 12 years on tour they'd have thought i was the greatest thing in the world but because my last name was martin they're like oh he's a, a spoiled little brad and he's yeah. you know this and daddy showed him like my like i haven't fished ever with my dad really in a tournament like i mean we did for like the first year because he he basically retired and and i did i went the opposite way on kind of on purpose i mean i went flw route because i wanted to make my own name and get out of his shadow yeah and I, and I, when I, I didn't call the sponsors up. He had every, if you look at my sponsors back in the day and look at my, at his, it were completely opposite. I went Evan Root. He had Mercury and he had Triton and I had Ranger and, and I had those rods and he had those rods and I had this line and he had that line. I, I did, I didn't, I wanted to do everything on my own. Right. And, um, and, and so that, that worked out really well for me. But, you know, here's, here's what's neat. Here's what's really neat. And I just thought about this the advantage of having, a Vegas and a Hillary and a Laker and and I don't know Mike's son uh, McClellan's son's name first name. The advantage of having these kids that have grown up in the sport and in the business is that they can at least help steer the ship, right? And right. The with the right intentions and in the right direction, because I think they're going to follow our our footsteps to some degree and our appreciation for the sport. And the integrity for the sport, etc. We, we're going to have some people that have grown up in it, and that's for me. Where, where I, you know, I've grown up in it, so I've seen, so I have respect for the sport, and I feel like I've been able to give back more to the sport because of where I came from in the sport, yeah. seeing it. And I think your son and Hillary and all these other kids will hopefully do the same thing. Yeah, and they'll be they'll be the they'll be the guide to, to the sport going forward, the next generation. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. And I always I, I think um, you always try to instill those things in your children, um, the positive spins on it. And uh, it's great because I see in Vegas this early, not just him understanding the other stuff, which is a whole nother topic. So many kids today think it's just fishing. I'm so glad Vegas is getting to see the bad days, the good days, the hard work, the business side of the sport, launching the boat. The You know, he's seeing it all which I think is great for him, but he also sees the things that you can do to make 
the sport better, to make the world better, right? Like it's yeah. it's great because Hillary got to watch you do so many positive things in the sport and change people's lives. And that's it. That's something that's more amazing to me than having the best job in the world is having an impact, a positive impact on somebody. So well, that, that's yeah. Why. That's what I know. That's your driving passion with everything that you do to give back and to support with the kids and and all the all the things that you do, the foundation, etc. And I feel the same way. It's like you know, I I I don't want to be necessarily remembered by whatever trophies I've got on the shelf. I want to be remembered by by making positive impacts on the next generation and and leaving the sport better than we found it. And yeah. um and that that's really my driving force. And I know it's yours as well. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Uh. I did want to get back a little bit to, to Lake Okeechobee. And I know you've probably, even though it's just a couple, four or five days old or whatever, I know you've probably already did a thousand podcasts on how you caught him. So we, we don't need to necessarily get into that exactly, but I did want to bring this up. So as I was following along, you know, I look at a lot of other anglers, social posts as they were fishing and, you know, EQs this year, big deal. So many guys like uh, that I follow that were fishing it. And Scott, I'm not kidding you. I saw a thousand social posts during that tournament, during practice, leading up to the end of it, saying, um, this is not the Lake Okeechobee I remember. This is not the Lake Okeechobee I used to fish. This is not the Lake Okeechobee I read about. This, you know, it was basically a thousand anglers all with the same cry outcry, which was what the hell happened to Lake Okeechobee? You know, guys like looking around, like, what the heck happened? I, I I want you to I want you to get into that a little bit because I think a lot of your the competitors were miffed. They they were just they were dazed. They were baffled by what they saw. You know, to talk a little bit about that because Lake Okeechobee's always been changing. It's always a changing fishery, but it seemed to hit home more this year with guys. Why yeah. is that? And what's happening? Well, so Lake Okeechobee, it, it, that's a long, that's a whole other podcast, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it I'm, is. I'm going to try to consolidate this. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate you bringing this up because it's really important to me. So we started an organization called Anglers for Lake Okeechobee, and it's myself and my wife and a bunch of other concerned anglers that, that really care about this lake. What, what's happened is, in a nutshell, is the state of Florida, the Corps of Engineers, and South Florida Water Management kind of manage Lake Okeechobee, and they manage the water around South Florida. With the hurricanes that we've had and all the different things that's going on and some of the pollution issues that we've had with, with uh, uh, runoff and different things, you know, they've decided to try to hold more water in Lake Okeechobee so there's less water going out to the east-west coast of Florida. They don't have a necessarily a solution right now to say hey where can we put all this extra water right um, a lot and so they've decided to go ahead and hold it in the lake and what that's doing it's holding the lake artificially too high lake okeechobee is a natural lake and a natural lake flourishes at a natural level a natural lake cannot flourish at an unnatural level and that's what we're at right now we're at 16 almost 16 and a half feet of water which doesn't sound like a lot but that's about a foot and a half to two feet of extra water in this lake. Yeah. Getting that vegetation to flourish. The, the lake, the natural water levels in this lake used to range between 11 feet in the summer up to about 15, 15 and a half. And so you had your, your growing time frame of 11, 12, 13 feet of water, 14 feet of water. Your grasses could flourish. 
because that light could penetrate to the bottom and thousands of acres of grass would grow. And right. that's remember the lake. And a lot of these people that came here remembered these vast grass beds. And so what they've done the last few years is they've changed the water schedule where they're holding the Corps of Engineers made a, made a law and they passed a law to hold more water in the lake to alleviate some of the pressure going east and west. And um, it's drowning the lake out. It's just drowning the lake out. Now, there's another problem, and it's called spraying, and that's a big issue. It's where they're dumping thousands of gallons of chemicals in the lakes, all the lakes. Right. right. Or in general, really around the country. This is a countrywide problem, by the way, there's the chemicals. But they're spraying a lot of water hyacinths. They're not out there spraying the hydrilla. They're not out there spraying the pepper grass. They're not out there spraying the good grass that we need. The problem is, is that you get some residual die off when they spray the hyacinths that are next to the cattails and the cattails die and smother out the pepper grass. Right. So it's kind of a domino effect. And then you've got soft bottom and bubbly crap coming up and the, the pH changes and the grass doesn't flourish and the spawning grounds kind of get all messed up. So, but the biggest killer of vegetation and the biggest restriction of growth on this lake is the water level. We have to fight to get the water level back down to a natural level because this is a natural lake. They don't own right. the lake. It's not a man-made lake. You know, it's, it's so different than like Gunnersville is a man-made lake. Right. You know, Beaver Lake's a man-made lake. Yeah, so it's a river. Damn damn yeah. river, right? Yep. Like the Corps of Engineers, I think that I feel like they should have a little bit more right to do what they want on those lakes that they kind of built. Yeah. But not a lake they built. This is a natural, God-made resource in my backyard right here. And no one has the right to kill it because they don't have a better plan to do something with the water that's not the lake's fault. The right. lake, lake didn't generate that water. The water comes down the Kissimmee River. A, a big flood of water comes down the Kissimmee River during storms in the rainy season and fills the lake up. It's not rain water from the lake. It's not extra rain that fell on the lake that were causing the problem. Right. They're flooding the lake and then holding the water in the lake, basically like a reservoir. Right. And, uh, and that's unnatural. And so it's just over time, you're drowning out the vegetation. The water levels are six and seven feet deep now in areas that should be three and four feet deep. The light can't get to the bottom. The wave action now crashes through everything, uproots the bottom, stirs the bottom up, and it's just this death cycle of muddy water. And and so now, you know, you say, okay, there's 476,000 acres of water in Lake Okeechobee. And right now, we used to have 50 to 60,000 acres of submerged vegetation, meaning like fish eating bay, which you remember that whole yeah. ditch area had yep. eel grass and pepper grass and hydrilla everywhere. As far as you can <laughs> see. Yeah. As far as you can see. Yeah. The trail going through the hydrilla on both sides. There was 20,000 acres just in fish eating bay of submerged uh, hydrilla and eel grass and pepper grass. Right now, there is literally one acre of vert submerged vegetation in the lake. One acre. And I found it one acre, like literally one acre. And so that doesn't filter the water. It's really, it's really silly to me that the state, the Corps and South Water Water Management doesn't take a common sense approach here and just lower the water level, allow, right. grow, allow that grass to filter the water that will then clean the water to a better quality of water. So then when it goes to the Everglades and goes east and west and goes wherever it needs to go, it's better water. Right. Have a pool. It's like having a pool in your backyard and pulling your filter out of your pool and going, we're just going to have this dirty pool in our backyard for the rest of our life. Pool party. And, <laughs> pool party and dirty water. Come yeah. on. 
put a filter in it. If you put a filter in it, your pool looks great. Yeah. Put a filter in it. That's what I need to put a shirt that just says, put a filter in it. <laughs> you know, it's like, I get fired up talking about this. But I, it, I'm, I'm it, getting fired up listening to it, listening it, to it because, but, and I'm learning too. And it, this is so good because I, I feel like a lot of our, you know, it, I think a lot of times, Scott, if you're removed from that area, right? You know, if you don't live in Florida or if you don't fish Lake Okeechobee, you don't know the real issue. So I'm so excited that you're talking about it because we have a lot of people watching and listening that are living in the Northeast or the Midwest, or the West Coast, and they they assume it's one thing. Like like for me, I I had assumed it was more because of the sprain, right. and and it's a combination. You know, it's amazing to hear you talk about. High water is probably the bigger killer of the two, but the combination of those has yeah. led to these guys, uh, you know, on, on their Instagram and, and X and all that saying, you know, where's the grass? Why yeah. do I have to have a spinning rod? Yeah. What's all this? What's all this silt on the bottom? You know, what's, you know, now, now it's coming together. Why, why this is happening, you know? Yeah. Let me also let me just to, just to clarify a, a myth a myth mistruth here that a lot of people will probably think because over the years certain people that um, uh, for other reasons really kind of want to keep Lake Okeechobee in bad shape in my opinion um, they want to blame the the farmers they want to blame the farm I live in the farming community right here yeah yeah so I know the facts and the facts are. The farmers, U.S. sugar and the vegetable farmers and all the farmers around the lake. It's not just sugar, by the way. It's cornfields. Like it's the, like tons of vegetables, like all the vegetables in the wintertime. Believe it or not, for the whole East Coast, Mike, if you ate green beans and corn, this yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas, it came from this part of the country. Yeah, it's not coming from New Jersey because we're frozen up here. So it's not coming from here. Exactly. So the misconception is, is here's what people think. People think that the farmers pull water off the lake. They go out on their fields and they spray all these pesticides and chemicals on the crops. And then they take the excess water and pump it back in the lake. And so it's this constant flow of bad, polluted, chemical-laden water going back in Lake Okeechobee. That's not what happens. It actually, the water comes out of the lake. The farms are south of the lake. The water comes out of the lake and never goes back in the lake. Right. It, all the farm water stays on the farm. And, or goes to those STAs, those marsh areas south of the lake. They don't go back in the lake. So I just wanted to clarify that because I know people yeah. are watching this going, well, it's the farmer's fault is that the lake's in bad shape. It's really not. It's the water levels. Yeah. It, it's mismanagement. And and look, they need to put resources and spend money inside of Lake Okeechobee. They're spending billions of dollars, literally billions, around the lake on projects, building reservoirs over here and filter marshes over there. And doing all these projects, raising Highway 41, blah, blah, blah. But we're not spending any money in the lake. And so we need the state. We need the governor. And if anybody's watching this and saying, what can I do to help? Yeah. Write the governor, write the, uh, the Corps of Engineers, and write South Florida Water Management. And say, we need, we need projects and we need habitat in Lake Okeechobee. We need to start funding for the lake with planting grass. Let's get the water levels at an acceptable rate that our level that will, grass will grow. And let's go from there. Now. For the people thinking like, oh, Lake Okeechobee's dead, it's not. Obviously, I just caught 90 pounds. Yeah, look at look at the results. Yeah. The, the lake's so, still healthy, yeah, right? Still fishing good, yeah. Fish kills, the fish are fine. It's just the areas that we like to fish are getting reduced and reduced and reduced year after year. Right. So the problem for these big tournaments, you saw how many boats were in the areas. But like if somebody decided, hey, I'm going to come to Lake Okeechobee this week and go fun fishing, 
dude, you got the lake yourself. I mean, you roll into all these places and there's a boat or two here and there, but there's plenty of places to fish and you're going to have some of the best fishing of your life. It just makes it more complicated right now when the right. tournament, but over time, what's going to happen if we don't do something yeah. is slowly losing those four or five areas that are left. We're going to lose one or two of them every year and we, we may be reduced to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That it, it, it's so amazing because I think even me, I've had a tendency in the past to believe that local state federal agencies by default would be doing the right thing and, and a good thing. And, right. and, and what I'm hearing and now I'm older, I realize that's not always true, but what I'm hearing from you is that's, that's not the case here, right? They're not, necessarily doing good things to the lake that it's the reverse it's the opposite anything to the lake i mean that's the sad truth and, and you know and, and i hope they're watching i hope the governor somehow sees this i hope south water administration here's i speak at their meetings all the time we're, 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 we don't have projects in the lake and that baffles me like if we can right. mark billions and hundreds of millions of dollars for projects around the lake we need to earmark projects for in the lake we don't need much we don't need much but we do need something we can't just let these towns uh and these communities and these businesses, and more importantly, the fish, the wild, they have rights. Right. The, the bass have, I mean, they've literally, that's their house. The manatees, that's where they live. The gators, the the, the eagles, yeah. the, the, the Everglades kites, these animals, these ducks that don't show up, they have rights. And yeah. no one has the right to kill a resource just because they don't have a better plan on what to do with some water. Right. Yeah, that's that's a shame. And, and you know, if like I, I remember being young, being a kid, and I've got my first bass membership and you got that sticker, that patch, you know, and like part of that pledge was conservation. You know, it was like caring about the environment and caring about, you know, the lake and the fish and the wildlife. And that's exactly what you're talking about. By the way, if you're listening or watching, I will put a link down below. Scott, it was anglers for Lake Okeechobee. I'll, I'll put a link down below. If you're watching or listening, uh, click on the link and and get more information on that. I, yeah, just, uh, just be part of the conversation. That's what we can have people do. Yeah, and yeah. if anyone has the ability to send an email or a letter to any of these agencies to say, "Hey, we we love Lake Okeechobee, and you need to you need to focus on it and and not let this you know get destroyed like they're doing." So yeah, um, it it's it's but the fish right now are good. I mean, we're catching them. It's obviously this week was fantastic. Yeah, thirty pound bags are hard to catch anywhere you go. I can tell you that. And you know, to have multiple thirty pound bags caught in a three day tournament is yeah, it's pretty pretty freaking incredible. Uh, Scott, I got one last big topic I have on my notes that I'd I'd be doing everyone listening and watching the service but I didn't talk about this. Uh, we have so many aspiring pro anglers listening to this podcast, and high school kids, college kids, but even old dudes like me, <laughs> you know, are like, I want to give this a go. And, uh, and I think it's awesome, but I, I got to put you on the spot and say that I'm a big fan of what you've been able to do on the business side of, of the sport on the business side of this uh, profession. Like when I, when I look at your career, you've got the accolades of competing and that's awesome, but you've done an amazing job at building a brand and businesses outside of the pro fishing world. You've been able to separate your professional competitive fishing from being a brand and, and, ha and having a business or businesses where you could make a great living. I, I mentioned it before, but I think so many people are naive to that 
where they think I'm just going to go tournament fish and that's that. And, uh, man, hats off to, to, to being able to do such a great job with Thank that you. other stuff. But I, I, if I didn't have you on this podcast to talk a little bit about that, people would shoot me. Uh, talk about that. Obviously, you got to see it with your dad and you've got an understanding of it early. But what if, if, if there are people watching, if there's a high school kid watching this right now or, or, a, or a, a female college angler watching this that wants to do it, give them, give them some tips on, on that side of it. Like, should they just be aware? Should they start like give, give them some tips on how to, how to be a successful business person outside of competitive fishing? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Um, and, and kind of hard to answer, but but all okay. If you're watching right now, I think we lost Scott just for a second. Uh, hopefully we'll get him right back. I, I hope I hope we can get him back because this is something I want to hear too, because uh I get the question so many times. So uh I hope we can get Scott back here in a second. But listen to me, I'll answer it myself at, until Scott comes back, which is having a brand and having resources outside of just the tournament fishing is critical. Listen, there are only so many Aaron Martins. There are only so many Jacob Wheelers out there that have the ability to, to make a living uh, at it with just the fishing. If they were to ignore everything else, there's only so many of those guys. It's such a, a small part. All right, Scott's here. I'm going to put it back in. There's only a small minority that can do it. Sorry, Scott. I, I was sort of answering my own question. I yeah. didn't know if we'd get you back or not. Uh, it, it, threw, it like blew the whole phone. To <laughs> it was such an important part of the podcast. It just blew It blew the segment up. But uh, I, I was talking a little bit about it, but I was just saying there's only – a very dude, the, the, the number of anglers that could just fish and do nothing else is probably right. like that, right? Like Aaron Martins, you know, right. like maybe Wheeler in modern times, like they're that good where they could probably just fish and do nothing. But for yeah. the rest, for the other 98%, you have to have this other side and you've done such a good job at it. Give, give them some advice or give them some, you know, how have you done that? You know, maybe is, is a better way to ask it. Yeah, you know, for me, I think the biggest thing that 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 I, I I was always, and I think you've done the same thing. I'm I'm always trying to identify the next opportunity that will obviously that's still tied to fishing through either social media or some type of media opportunity. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's partnering with the right bait company or lure company where you can leverage like what you've done with Abu and doing a signature series rods, um, designing some baits, etc. You know, those type of opportunities, which is a fisherman, you know, if you go into it with that mentality, what can I do to add to this, this, like for me, it was early on, it was like, I want to do a fishing show, but I want it to be different. I don't want to be two guys in a boat. It wanted to be a, a competition style format. Yeah. And which had never been done before at the time. And so we did that. And then, you know, Facebook kind of came along and Instagram and I, I fortunate enough to jump on that at a pretty early stayed yeah. like you did as well yeah and we kind of got ahead of the curve a little bit and then when youtube came along kind of the same thing i i saw an opportunity there and then i thought you know i want to capture more of what we do because i think it's fun and so i just start capturing some of these tournaments and so i i, I was i got very fortunate by that i recognized some of the 
ways to kind of move forward in the sport and diversify a little bit from just trying to make it cash in a check at a tournament. You know, if you can, if you can get uh, some extra percentage on selling some products, if you can put your name on something, you know, these are all things as a, as a young aspiring angler that you, you should at least have those dreams and aspire to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you could do other things too. I mean, I, I've started to get into some like Airbnb stuff. I mean, there's some other things that you can do as well, because if you can take the pressure off a little bit of, of going out there where you, when you hook your boat up and you're going to drive to the Toledo Bend and you're worried about like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to pay my entry fee in the next tournament if I don't do well in this next one. Yeah. That's a terrible place to be. And unfortunately, there's a lot of anglers that have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, you know, we all did. We all had to, you know, I, I, I didn't have big sponsors at the beginning, but you know, I quickly started trying to identify where I could be the most effective uh, for my sponsors and, and, and take advantage of all the new, new things that are coming out. I don't know what's next. You know, it's kind of a yeah. right now is what's the next social media thing? What's the next uh, media platform for video? Yeah. You know, what, where, where is, is it now? Do we, you know, is it is it starting some, you know, I think, to be honest with you, I think the next big thing and, and, and not that I'm going to do it, but I think this is good advice. I think with with the way TikTok is now and TikTok shops and and all that, people can take the tremendous advantage of that right now, building their own lures and putting their own name on it. These young kids and and blow it up and promote their own brands, promote their own stuff, and sell their own merchandise and their own lures. And all of a sudden, you'd be surprised at where that could go. I, I would agree. I think that's a great uh, a great avenue that's opening up. And you're right. You know, as time passes these new opportunities are going to rise and you got to keep, keep your eye out for the next thing. Right. That's, that's important. Even for the old guys, you know, I, I'm sure there's some elite old elite guys going to listen to this too. And we're not, uh, we're not immune from changes in the world and technology. So you gotta, you gotta keep changing just to make this hit home, just like as an exclamation point on how important this is. And I, you don't have to be exact on this, but for people listening, what part of your business income is tournament winnings and what part of it is this other that we're talking about? I think this would really make it hit home yeah. for people. For me, um, it's taken years to do it, but anything from a tournament win is, is, is what I would consider a bonus bonus, right? Bonus. I put like, I'm taking that money from this event and I'm going to put it, you know, into my retirement fund. Right. I, have to pay a light bill with that money. And and that didn't happen. It's not daddy's money. I don't get any money from my dad. I don't get any money from my mom. I don't even get a paycheck from the marina. Like, honestly, um, everything, every dollar I make for the last 20 years has come from what I do, whether it's social media or TV and sponsorship. And, um, but, you know, it's taken those that many years. The first yes. five or 10 years, that, that, that 50 grand, that supported the next couple of years of tournament fishing. Right. You know, now it's different, but, but I was able to do that by diversifying and, 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 and being, being smart with it. The biggest thing I can give for sponsorship stuff, and I actually use the word partnership more than I use the word sponsorship. I, I try to preach that. Yeah. Treat your sponsorships as a partnership and call them a partnership because partnerships will go a lot farther than a sponsorship. Right. Sponsorship to me is kind of like charity. Don't treat these like charity. Don't treat these like, uh, I'm going to put a sticker on my windshield on my boat and put a, a, a logo on my jersey. And I'm, I think you should give me, you know, $10,000. Right. Because because here's what's going to happen. 
that company may do it because they say, you know, I like that kid. He's a young kid. He's got some potential. He's well-spoken. He's a, he's a good kid. So we're just going to write this check. And there's, there's really no ROI for that, for that person writing that kid, that check, because all he's right. doing is putting the logo on his shirt. And so over time, what happens is, is that sponsor has to then evaluate what their spend is and different things. And then they say, you know what, well, we can't move forward with you. Unfortunately, we love you, but we can't move forward at this level or we can't increase it to anything else because we're, we're not getting any ROI on this thing. And that charity runs out. Right. Things that is extra, like when you have a social media account and you don't have to have a bunch of followers, but you go out and you create a video, a promotional video for one of your sponsors or one of your partnerships. You create something really cool for them and share it on your Instagram and Facebook and then give them a copy of it. And that's the things that all of a sudden they start equating value, right? They start equating value to certain things that um, that you're doing for them. And then that allows you to then two things, keep a long-term relationship and increase your, increase your value and in turn, increase your, your pay. And yep. so as you do that consistently for five years, six years, seven years, 10 years, all of a sudden you'll get to a point where when you win a tournament, you can take that money and put it in a retirement fund because you've, you've worked your butt off. And, and so that's the biggest advice I can give these kids. It's not a charity. Don't treat it as a charity. Do that extra work. It doesn't take a lot to make these sponsors and these people happy. That's that's awesome. I, and I've never heard it broken down like that, but I love the dichotomy of charity versus a partnership, providing real value through a partnership. And, and that's what they have to do. And so many times I think the mistake is you're right. You know, just it's a sticker. It's a logo. You know, you owe me this by putting this on and it doesn't work that way. That's so short term thinking. I love I love the way you broke that down. And uh, and honestly, Scott, you've done such a great job. Uh, I, I think a lot of people you're going to be the model for a lot of people's career as they get older, you know, and watching what you've done and you've done a excellent, amazing job. And hats off, hats off to you for that. Hey, um, thank you very much. Before we go, and I know you're trying, I don't know if it's a certain time limit on this. No time limit. No, but we do have to talk about how I called them because I think it was pretty cool. I, 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 I did want to talk about it. I thought I figured you were going to be bored out of your mind about no. talking about it, but I'd like to know about that. I, I would. I, I I wake up at four thirty every morning. The last couple of days, like I'm ready to go fishing. <laughs> oh. I, I'd like to, I'd like to know about. It. I'd actually, like I said, I was geeking out on the whole thing, watching it and following it. But what I thought was one of the most interesting things was you targeting the cover, the clumps, and the areas that those fish were using that weren't visible to your eyes. Right. And I, I think that to me, the baits were cool and I, I want to hear about that, but get into that because forward facing technology so many times, I think people that they watched Toledo Bend last week and it's just dudes chasing fish. Right. Yeah. And, and that's definitely a, a way to utilize that technology, but you utilize it in a whole different way. Talk, talk a little bit about that. Cause that to me was interesting. Yeah. So, you know, it's a flat, it's four or five feet of water. And a lot of these cattail roots have been, cut off at the water line when the water was at 14, 15 feet, but that's 16. So it's all, everything's underwater. Right. Um, and you'll cruise around on these flats. So, so like when you've been at Okeechobee and you look at a reed clump that you can see and there's holes inside the reed clump and you pitch your jig in that little triangle in the open spot. Yeah. And that's where you get bit. Well, it's the same exact layout underwater, except you can't see the cattails anymore because they're cut off at the water line. But those same gaps in the cattails and those same yeah. open 
triangles are there. And I was using my sonar to see, like you would be cruising along the flat and you would see a big, like a, it's an underwater head, like a big, right. and then I would power pull down and you would see on the forward facing sonar, you would see shad swimming around. You would see tilapia, you would see some bass. Um, but I would just keep making casts at these clumps and pitching all behind them. And, and, and then finding really what one of my keys to success was I would find the slick spots. I couldn't see bass beds with my forward facing sonar, but I could feel the slick spots. And so as I would pitch up to a, a clump and I would pull it through the clump and then fall down in a hole and then I'd pull it through the hole and then pull it over a clump and then through a hole. If the hole was a little muddy, a little mossy, yeah, dirty, I'd come back to the junk on my hook. I would then make a cast a little to the right. And then I would find a slick, clean spot. Like I would come through that, it would be clean. I'd come through that, it'd be clean. And then, I'd, and then all of a sudden I'd get bit, you know? Wow. And, that's super, that's super trick. Like that is, that's, that's mine. Even for me, like that's mind blowing because you were, you were utilizing forward facing to find them, but you were feeling your way yes. to the, to the juice. Yes. Yeah. That's trick. Yeah. <laughs> that's straight up trick, man. Yeah, yeah. And you had to use the right size weight. You had to use the right size weight for it. You know, you couldn't, um, you couldn't have too heavy a weight cause it would get down in the grass and like get all mucked up real bad. So you had everything just perfect. Um, the other thing that was really cool and crazy is I knew there'd be a lot of boats in the area. Um, it's an area that I fished quite a bit. Hillary and I had a tournament there last May and we caught them on frogs. We had, we had 29.97 or something like that. 30 pounds. We had five to 30 and we finished 30th in the tournament. I remember, I remember there was like a two week span yes. where you guys were just, there were 30 pound bags as far as you could see. It was crazy. Wow. It was the same area, the same quarter mile, half mile stretch of shoreline. And it's very popular. There's always there's always 40 boats in there. Every tournament that I've I fished a, uh, a little local tournament like two weeks ago before the lake went off limits. And we fished, uh, we finished pretty good at 22 and a half pounds. And there was, you know, 30 boats around. So yeah. when I rolled in there the first day, this is what's so cool. And then this is a good tip. This is a good part. I'll back up just one part of the story. And you've seen this a lot, Mike, over the years. And I know you're, you work really hard on the water. Um, is that I work all the way to the last second I can work. I don't, I don't yeah. take, I don't take that last day of practice off and sleep in or rig, do the whole, I'm going to just rig tackle. Yeah. Like I fish my butt off. And so I went out, we had to be off the water at noon and I went out, um, at early in the morning and it was 11 o'clock and I was working my way up the lake and I thought, okay, I, knowing what I know now. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fish in this Harney Pond area where I've been fishing. That's where I'm going to commit. I'm going to have to outfish everybody. So for me to do that, let me find a couple zones in that area where I, where I feel like I can start. Let me map out my thought process a little bit. Instead yeah. of randomly fishing through a whole big area. Uh, I pulled up, stopped the boat last day of practice with 30 minutes to go. There was only maybe five or six boats still in the water. And I troll a motor through there and right off the bat, I get a bite. It feels like a good one. And, Boom, get another bite. Feels like a pretty big one. Boom, get another bite. Feels like a pretty big one. And it's like, dude, I've dropped a waypoint on my screen with an exclamation point. And I thought, if I can start here, this is where I want to start. Right. The two days before that, I did the same thing. I rolled through that same area and uh, dropped a couple waypoints on where I got four or five bites. So 
tournament day rolls, I roll up there. I'm about 165 out of the gate. Wow. Way back in the past. So I'm running up the lake. I come around the point of the reef there. I'm looking out across the way. And it's just, it's, it's like this with boats, dude. It's just, <laughs> just boats. And I'm like, okay, I expected it. Yeah. Now, cause here's my mentality. I was like, first of all, I know there's going to be 50, 60 boats. So out of those 50, 60 tournament anglers, half of them are going to get spun out that there's too many people there. And it's right. Out. They're just going to spin out of control. Right. The other half are going to start fishing too fast and like trying to like make something happen. And I'm going to do the complete opposite. I'm going to try to just settle down, get an area that I like. If I can get one of my little zones, I'd be great. And I'm going to, I'm going to let the fish settle to me. And, and so I roll in there and all of a sudden, dude, I'm looking and it's, it's way more boats than I thought. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I come off plane and I, and I idle around and I, and I look and I see, and I'm looking over, I put my trolling on the water. And I'm real respectful. I'm just trolling motor and real slow. Just kind of fishing my way. Everybody's sitting still. Everybody's power pulled down. Everybody's got their little. It looked like going into uh, the Potomac River, like in that one bay where all the grass was one year. There's like 50 boats in a circle. It yeah. Looked, and everybody's kind of power pulled down, doing their thing. And I just, you know, respectfully kind of cruise up through there. And I'm looking at my screen and, and up there where I want to fish. And I see that that exclamation point on my screen, there's literally... There's no boats on it. I, I, wow. All the places in the whole spot. Yeah. There's no one really sitting right where I want to sit. On the place that you found the last practice day yeah. with 20 last minutes day. to go before yeah. the cutoff. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I can I can get in there and I can at least get to where I want to fish. So I kind of finagle my way up through there and I get positioned and I power pull down. And I'm looking on my screen. I'm looking. There's some little patches of grass. I see some fish swimming around, whatever. I'm casting around, casting around, casting around. And again, I'm watching people catch fish like crazy. They've got drop shots in their hand. they got wacky worms. They're catching all these males. I mean, and my co-angler's like, oh, that guy's got a pretty good one. Oh, that guy's got another one over there. And I'm hearing fish splashing and people going, oh, there's one. And, and And I tell my partner, I go, listen, dude. Don't tell me about anybody catching fish. I don't want to know if anybody caught a big one. I, re- I have no disrespect, but I don't want to know anything about it because yeah. I blinders on and I just got a fish. So I literally yeah. tuned out all the noise and I kept a big rod in my hand, this big creature bait right here, which is a bandito bug. I designed this thing. It's awesome. It's, this is actually from my boat. This is one of the baits that actually caught one of those big fish last year. You can see one of the legs missing. It was in my yeah. boat. It. Black and blue. Black and blue. Yeah. And I was throwing a big uh, a big trick worm, a big mag trick worm as well. And then I was throwing a big uh, a big paddle tail worm. So those are my three baits. But, like, they had 20-pound line and straight braid. Like, I had no no, no spinning rods, no light line, anything. Right. So I'm sitting there, and, dude, all of a sudden, doom, doom, doom. I'm like, and so I've got my mask on. Oh, by the way, I'm in an unwrapped boat. My, no, everybody thought I did it on purpose, but my boat my boat's literally at the wrap shop now. I just couldn't get it wrapped in time. Yeah. So, Got my AFCO hoodie. I look like a bass ninja, dude. I've got my <laughs> no jersey. I'm like totally incognito. Nobody knows it's me. And I'm just right in the middle of and there's 87 boats, by the way, now. Not 50, not 60, 87 boats. Wow. And and I set the hook, dude, and I catch like a seven. And I just I don't say anything. I don't high five my guy. I don't I don't make a peep. I just put it in the lob well. Yeah. Front boat, fix my worm, fire again. Pull the power poles up, move like 20 feet, 
keep casting, keep casting, donk, nine pounder. Wow. Land the fish, don't high five, nothing. Everybody's just kind of like, I'm, I'm even putting them in the boat so quick, like I'm just grabbing them and sticking them in the live well that that people aren't even sure what's going on. They're like, right. okay, but I got boats like 50, 60 yards away from me. Right. But they're like, did he just catch a big one? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but you know, it's dead calm. So when these fish would jump, it sounds like a cannonball hitting the water, like, right. Look up and everybody, 87 people are like looking at me like this, you know. <laughs> so I'd land, I'd land the next one, land the next one. And by 11 o'clock, dude, I had 33 pounds. I had a 912, a 94, and I haven't moved 60 yards. That is incredible. Fish. Right there. It's kind of like your magic little spot at Seminole um, and caught all my fish right there within 60 yards of it. So I mill around, mill around, and I never leave all day. I stay there all day and I go in and I weigh in what I weighed in. Well, then day two rolls and I'm running down the lake and I'm, and I'm again, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling nostalgia, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm just calm. I'm not, I'm not waking up with anxiety. I'm not, I'm not freaking. I'm just, it was a blessing. I, I yeah. pray for, for peace. I'm running down the lake, and I don't even go to the 33 place, dude. I go to the other spot where I shook off fish, which is 600 yards away. So I pull up there, and I fish there all day. I don't even go to the 33 hole. I fish on this spot, and I catch 23 probably there. And um, I'm like, well, let's move. I said, then we got about 15 minutes. We'll run back. I said, let's run over there real fast and see if I can't uh, get a bite over there where we started yesterday, where we fished yesterday. I roll in there, and there's like six boats in a circle all fishing in there and i come rolling in dude and i'm trolling motoring up towards my and still nobody's on the exact little spot right roll and i'm just casting dude and it was a great feeling because you know you come off plane you put the troll motor down you troll a motor in position like you're on a mission you know you're real focused i'm casting i'm casting eight and a half pounder dude catch it right there in front of everybody it's ah. flashing around the water i go there and grab it throw in the live well turn the boat out Put my life vest back on and then leave, dude. I come in with what 26 basically, 25, 13. So then I'm like, dude, that's awesome. So then day three, same thing, no spinning rods, all bandito bug, all big worms. I roll in there day three and I go, I don't even go to the 33 place again. So, you know, the 33 place so far has uh, uh, dropped a 912, a 94 giants, and, yeah. and four more eights or three more, uh, two more eights, a lot of big ones. And I go, I go back to the 23 pound side. And I'm fishing around. This is the last day. This is what y'all were watching on live. Yeah. And I'm catching a few little tiny ones. And then I catch like a six. Okay. And I'm like, okay. And then I catch like a nine. And I'm like, okay. So I got a nine, a six, and like a two pounder and two like one pounders, like literally legit ones. And I'm like, you know, pretty good. I got you know, 20, 20 pounds or something like that, maybe. And I'm like, I'm looking at my I'm looking at the 33 hole. It's over there, like a quarter mile, half mile. There's still nobody. Now there's nobody at all there now. Right. And Top 10 guys only. I'm like, I'm kind of an idiot, really. I said, you know, I started counting up all the big ones. I'm like, let's go spend the rest of the day at the 33 hole before I like, this is dumb. And I roll over there, dude. And all of a sudden it's like, catch another nine on that spinning rod. I finally pull a spinning rod out because I saw something swimming around in the, in the, in the little clump. And I couldn't get it to react on anything. I just started fan casting that all wacky around. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't. And I set the hook on that big one, dude. And it like went through the power poles. It went around the boat every which way. And, oh, man. Uh, chaotic. So then 
And then live went away, I guess. And I caught another seven or six or so at the end there. I don't. Even, I never even saw the footage of that one. It hasn't aired anywhere. But I did catch another one. And the camera guy was like, dude, this is absolutely ridiculous. And um, you know, we thought we had 34 pounds. But those some of those fish didn't quite weigh is exactly what we thought. I didn't weigh any right. of them. Right. You don't know. It's so hard to tell sometimes. I and big we, eye everything. So it would have been a 40-pound bag if I was fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, 31 pounds or whatever it was. And, 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 but man, every single fish came on basically the bandito bug. And really, this was the winner of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, it's that one on that lunker log, that little Cinco style bait, little wacky worm. Yeah. You on that big, uh, big trick worm. But man, you know, the, the, the key was for me with that was keeping a big bait in my hand. I learned this years ago when I won FLW tournament here on the lake um back i forget what year it was exactly but john cox had an 11 pound lead going to the last day and i ended up winning the tournament i caught like mid-20s and he'd had a tough day but how i was catching them there was similar similar deal and this happens on okuchebi lot it's a good tip for people watching this um i'm giving some good juice by the way when you get on these flats where there's all these males are and there's two pound males and two and a half pound males and occasionally yeah. whatever you know, that's the 11, 12, 13 pound bags that you saw everybody weigh in. A lot of those, a lot of them. They, and they caught them. They caught, they, some of those guys are catching 40, 50 bass a day and they're putting them in a live well and then and trolling them around with them and then, then call them at some point. It's just disrupting the spawn. It's disrupting. Right. Those females are coming. We got a warming trend. It's calm. They're, they're seeking a bed. They're seeking a male that wants to court her. And get that female to settle. But if you're jacking all these two pounders and putting holes in their face and getting them all sidetracked and carrying them off, and you're sitting there power pulled down because these guys aren't moving much either. They're all kind of just sitting in their own little zone. But if you caught all the males in your area, then guess what's not going to show up? The female. Right. right. And so I kept throwing those bigger baits. I was not catching any of those little two pounders at all. Um, and so those females were coming and setting up in my area each day because those males were still there. That's right. You I'm left, you left them alone. You weren't throwing the little drop shot. You weren't throwing the wacky, you, the, the yeah. males were still cruising and then they, yeah. so they were ignoring that larger bait, but the females freaking ate it up. Right. It was a bluegill. It was a tilapia. It was yeah. something. And they wanted to eat it. When, when those, when those big fish first come into an area to spawn, they eat. They eat frogs. They eat big baits. They want to eat because they know they're about to go get busy. They know they're about to spend the right. next days doing their thing. Right. And, they, and it takes a lot of energy. So they have an inert uh, uh, instinct to eat. And they want it. They don't want to eat a little worm. They want to eat something big. And then that way they can digest it and go to that bed and drop their eggs and do their whole thing. And that's what I did years ago in that FLW. I would troll them around and I would look down in the hole. It was clearer then. And I'd see a, like a two and a half pound male. And it, it's a fish I need at the point at the time, and I would just mark it, and I wouldn't even, I wouldn't throw it. If I dropped a, a crawdad down there, a little a little pitching bait, it would bite, and right. I wouldn't. I would. I kept throwing the big Trixie shark and a swim bait, big big easy and a Trixie shark, and I'm just so once I mapped out where all these holes were in the in the grass and all these there's a male here, a male all these males, I'm bomb casting big swim baits around, and all of a sudden, boom, six pounder, seven pounder, that would show up to spawn would eat you know and yep. so i went in that tournament every day catching a big bag of fish and and that's really that's really kind of what the same a little bit of the same thing happened here really 
um, by, by, you know, throwing those little bit bigger baits. That's, that's awesome. And it's, uh, you, I've heard this since I was young, but it's big bass, big bait theory kind of held up here, but I, I definitely think it has everything to do with the fact that you were purposely avoiding the males, which is, which is great. Show that bait again real, real quick, Scott, because it's not just big, but it's bulky. Like it has appendages. How yeah. much of that played, played to this too? Like, would it have been as successful if it was just a beaver with not all the appendages or you think the appendages uh, help? this helps this helps that, that little bit of extra action on those little appendages there these extra little appendages appendages move this thing is a great bait for florida and here's why because the bottom's soft a lot of times in florida silty yeah thin it's not real tall but it's flat and it lays on top of that soft bottom real well so it's not falling down in that soft bottom it lays on top really good comes through that bottom and it's and it stays visible to that fish as it crawls along the bottom if you threw a a, a skinnier rounder you know type crawdad you may fall down in that silt a little bit too much at times and that bait becomes a little less visible right. so i think all that helps it's just it's been a what you know it's just been a good bait man it's just been been awesome really so oh, that's uh, yeah. That's awesome. I, I always love when power fishing outduels finesse fishing because I'm I'm a sucker for power fishing and big baits and hitting them. But uh, it it worked here. Give me the weight size again, too, because I know people are watching us, listening to us, probably taking notes. Yeah. Weight so, size had to be important because of the silt and everything. Yeah. So I was between a quarter and a, and a five sixteenths on my rods. I had them rigged up a little bit different. I had 30 pound braid which I normally don't throw 30 pound braid, like casting around and stuff. I, I throw it on like top waters, but I had a rod rigged up with 30 pound braid and, and, and they really ate that. Well, I guess that thinner diameter, um, they didn't see it as much, I, I guess. I mean, they really seemed straight to braid, no, no floor braid. leader, straight braid, straight 30 pound braid. And they ate it well. Um, and then I did 20 pound fluorocarbon, you know, the P line tactical and, those were my those were my my deals, and I four aught offset hook. I threw offsets all week. Um, I didn't throw any straight shanks at all. All offsets four aught, and um, you know the rod. I tell you, and you you you'll you'll agree with this. Equipment like rods and reels are super important. Um, I've made a change this year. I'm I'm fishing lose this year, so I'm super excited about that. Yeah. And, you know, you don't know what you don't know in fishing you know when you're just when you're you're fishing with other things you just don't know right and when i put those loose in my hand did they feel good they felt good and i've got a lot of different actions the, the thing that i'm loving about the the rods that i have right now is that there's so many different um actions so i have like four seven threes to choose from in the lineups i have several i have several seven fours to choose from different actions so i can really fine tune my action for that exact lake and condition right. and and that was a big deal i didn't lose any fish this week i had the right rods with the right power the right sensitivity like every, i i used to i used to be under the mentality that i would say man i have this seven three that I, I try to use it for everything i try to use this one rod for like five different techniques just because but now i'm, I'm kind of like i'm choosing the different seven threes for different things like this is a, this one's for this and this one's for that Using them more like tools, like an, an, yeah, a better like, tool for this, a better yeah, tool for that. Right. Specialty clubs in your golf bag. Like I have a full right. bag and I have like 60 degree wedges and I have 50 degree wedges and I have all these different, you know, sticks that I can 
kind of fine tune it. And it's, and it's made, it's made my um, presentations better. It's made my, my, my reaction to the hook sets better. Like, I don't know. It was just good. Yeah. dude. It felt, yeah. it felt really nice this week. That That's awesome. Well, I, I'm glad I, I, like I said, I, it's funny because I, on this interview, I'm like, man, I don't want to burden Scott with talking about this stuff. Like I'm interested in that. And this is like Bash University stuff. Man, I love it. I geek out about it. But I'm like, man, Scott's talked about this like 30 times already in the last four days. I'm like, I'm not going to hit him with that stuff. I'm glad you forced me to talk about this because I, I, I like to always relate these things to me personally. I've been so guilty of exactly what you said, which is getting uh, five-inch Senko weightless or you know, a little wacky rig and getting preoccupied by getting bites, catching fish. And then I leave there with 10 pounds scratching my head. And I'm so glad we talked about this because it's something that I need. I've never really thought about it from those terms. And so, you know, I'm an old guy learning, you know, this is great. This is, this is awesome. And definitely that bait I think is key. If you're watching and listening, give that bait a try. That's a unique bait. It's not just a regular beaver. It's different. Uh, and that's, that I'm sure was key to your victory as well. So it's awesome. That's awesome. Scott, I can't, I, dude, I had a great time. I had a lot of fun doing this one. There, there's some of these, some, 20 some of the, minute, yeah. like 20 minute podcast we were going to do is just like I, 20 minutes. I, I know, I know. And, and I'm not, I'm not throwing shade on any of the podcasts because they're all fun and I appreciate everyone, but I had a lot, a lot of fun on this one. I, I learned stuff. I laughed. I cried with you for a second because I was getting emotional. Uh, this was a good podcast, and I, I, I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to see you in, like, what are we, like, two? It's actually, like, two weeks, or is it less? It might be less. might be a little less, yeah. It might be a little less. I've got a – I've got I'm going to go to Alabama tomorrow to film for a few days, come home. My boat should be done being wrapped, and then I've got to go do a, a boat show that weekend of our tournament, and then I'll fly back in to, I guess, I, I guess Shreveport probably. Or yeah. Too, and then – and then we start practice on Sunday. Is that right? Sunday? We do. We do. This one's all years a Monday. This one's a Sunday because of, this one has that off day connected to it. So, Perfect. yeah. Well, I will see you in less than a couple of weeks, Scott. And thank you. Safe travels. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we'd love yeah. to have you on our podcast as well. We've got a little podcast that we do on the road. It's nothing big like what you're doing, but it's called Prop Wash. We're having fun with it. We'd love to have you on if you have time. Heck, I know yeah, I would love to do it. And then, And then the other thing is, we got to get you on a YouTube episode. We need to go do something. I need to fly up there and film with you. Come down here. That's or maybe on the road one time this year if we got an extra day laying around. Let's let's do it. It's funny because we've I've talked to you a million times. We've done a lot of these podcasts together, and we always say let's do some con video content together. And I've never been on the show. We always talked about it. it. Never worked out. You were gone here. I was gone there. But dude, I would love that. I, honestly, I'd be like a kid in a candy store. I would love it. Um, talking about full circle it would bring it full circle for me because i don't know if you knew this but um it was covid so like 2020 i got to fish with your dad and it was incredible it was for me it was personally an incredible experience uh, and to be able to to fish with you would also be incredible so i'm going to take you up on that uh i think we just lost scott but timing was okay scott Thank you for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you guys for watching. Uh, this was a good one, man. Keep the questions and comments coming. Uh, it's been amazing to hear the, the comments about this new format. So I hope you like it. Ike Life 2.0.
Also want to double back and uh, give a shout out to Abu Garcia, a uh, big sponsor of the show this year. Um, please go to over to abugarcia.com. Oh, we got Scott back. Let me, let me do a formal. <laughs> I lost you again. Back. Every, every time the energy gets real high, it like shorts the system out. But I was saying, uh, I'll give you a quicker version. I fished with your dad. It was awesome. I would love to fish with you. It would bring it full circle for me. So I want to take you up on that for sure. I can't hear you. You can't hear me. Okay. All right. So we're just going to wave. Bye, Scott. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Technical difficulties to the end. But uh, shout out to Scott for coming on. It was awesome. Uh, send your questions, comments on through. Uh, and, and if you've got anything, Abu Garcia, thank you guys. Go to abugarcia.com. Also, Ike Foundation. Uh, go over there and look at dates. Uh, we've got the kids that want to fish, uh, just starting tournament fishing. Go over to Ike, IkeFoundation.com, uh, IkeFoundation.org and get more information. Thank you guys for watching. This is a super fun one. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye. Do you fish for excitement? <laughs> Do you fish for passion? Do you fish to get outside? Yeah! Or do you fish to win? Yeah! 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 Abu Garcia for life. Right now, where we're standing, we're in Camden, New Jersey. Yeah. Philadelphia is right there. This is the concrete jungle. And, you know, a lot of those kids, as they grow up, they don't fish. It's interesting because they're surrounded by water. You know, the, the Delaware River, the Schuylkill, ponds, city park lakes. But they don't have the influence to, to, to cast, to fish, to have a rod and reel. And that really, that became our focus, you yeah. know, is to target kids in what we call non-traditional areas, yeah. you know, urban areas, city centers, where the population's high. And, and let these kids have an experience, you know, and it, it, it's amazing. I mean, some of the experiences we've had, whether it's Central Park in New York City, here in Camden, other parts of the country, even just casting. Yeah. It's unbelievable to see it, isn't it? Yes. It's unbelievable. Yes. And, uh, you know, you see these kids have this experience they've never had, and they light up, you know? The big thing, I think, for the Ike Foundation is we're not, we're not saying we want all these kids to become professional anglers. No. It'd be great if some of them did, but we want them to have that fishing experience because it ties them to so, so many other positive things. The outdoors, nature conservation, conservation. Uh, ecology um, you know all these amazing things in life that maybe they wouldn't have been exposed to any other way we're trying to help with that so it's, it's important it's important for us yeah. we're proud of it I subscribe to Bass U TV, and so should you. Great place to learn about anything you want to know about bass fishing. You get it at Bass U. We got the best of the best. I'm not just an instructor, I'm a subscriber. I'm John Cruz, and I am a subscriber. You can always learn, and uh, watching Bass U is definitely helps with that. It's something that I like to do, and it's definitely something that you need to do. If I'm still learning, you should be too. Subscribe to Bass U, because 
you'll learn how to catch a lot more fish. Ike Live, brought to you exclusively by Abu Garcia.